Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome listeners. I'm Arthur Zakowitz, executive editor of WWD and host of the WWD Voices podcast. Uh, today is the first of a very special series of podcasts for the uh, retail RX uh, Hub, which is being presented by Getzler, Henrik, and Associates. And today, our guest is Michael Appel, Managing Director and Head of Retail Practice at the firm. Michael, welcome. How are you? I'm great, Arthur. How are you? Nice to see you. Hear you. I, uh, <laughs> it's good to see you, too. I think before we start, I was I was thinking about your career and, you know, um, the, the amazing things you've done. Can you just explain a little bit about uh, how you ended up at uh, Getzler. Okay, so so I started in the you know I'll, I'll I'll make this a quick one, but I'll start from the beginning, which was you know um, I started my career as a merchant at Bloomingdale's. I spent ten years there, and I bought uh, housewares, and then ended up running the kids division. From there, I went to a regional retailer, which was pre- precursor to Bed Bath Beyond, called Fortunoff, where I was vice president of merchandising, and then was president of a company called Hopritz, and then ran a whole bunch of different uh, specialty retailers. Uh, and and my background really covers all categories of merchandise from discount mass to uh, to luxury. So I have an unusual background in the fact that I'm sort of I'm sort of category and channel agnostic, uh, and because I love it all, it's all retail and it's all exciting. So starting in the '90s, I started doing work with companies that were uh, that were challenged and did a lot of work with Goldman Sachs, uh, where I was sort of a uh, utility player for their re- retail investment banking area. And uh, first went to uh, New Zealand, where I ran two companies they had bought there. Uh, one was Garden Center Chain, chain and the other was like the Crate and Barrel of New Zealand. And then when I and one of them, we had to put into administration. So that was that was my first uh, experience with restructuring outside the United States. Uh, and then came back and was asked by uh, the head of Goldman uh, in in Europe and Asia uh, to help them uh, diagnose and work with uh, saving the North American business of Laura Ashley. And we were successful in doing that and raising $80 million to, uh, to keep the company going. Uh, after that, uh, they asked me to, to work with a company called McKenzie Childs, which is a decorative home furnishings retailer that's undergoing some issues, you know, uh, company founder, et cetera. And then I started doing a lot of work with bondholders, people that, you know, companies that own uh, debt and companies and advising them on uh, a multitude of issues. But mostly there were companies that were having difficulty or uh, there were questions about whether they should invest, et cetera. So I worked with the, with the, uh, uh, the funds that ended up buying Barney's, uh, then worked with um, with the bondholders of uh, Casper and Ann Klein when they got into difficulty. And, uh, you know, the, the, the questions were, you know, will this company survive or do they have the management to do it, et cetera. And so I learned very quickly. And, of course, uh, you know, my clients always wanted an assessment, you know, in two weeks, complete assessment right. in two weeks, right, once they get 
So, you know, you learn to, to work very quickly. So did a lot of that type of work. Then I had my own uh, 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 turnaround restructuring and performance improvement uh, firm called Quest um, that I was in 10 years. And, and during that, ran uh, the, the largest direct mail hosiery company in the United States and then also ended up uh, <clears throat> being the interim CEO and selling uh, a company called Wilkes-Bashford, which was the Burton of Goodman of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things you like to say is, what I like is I like saving businesses, you know, not not performing the funeral. So that's the, that's the goal, is to save businesses that have a, you know, reason for being and saving jobs and making sure that some of these great businesses do survive. So, um, uh, you know, uh, and, and along the way, uh, in 2017, one of my former clients was looking to invest in a company called Route 21, which was a 750-unit uh, specialty store that, that served um, uh, uh, juniors and young men's and advised the creditors. And when the company emerged from bankruptcy in 2017, was asked to become the chairman and then became the CEO and then the turnaround through 2020. And then in um, June of 2020, uh, I was contacted by Monthly Capital, which is going to be the new owner of Ashley Stewart, uh, to assess the company's operation. And then I joined the board where I'm now chairman of the board. And two years ago, almost two years ago, um, the uh, the founders of Gessler Henrik, uh, uh, Joel Gessler and Bill Henrik, whom I had known through the industry for many years, asked me to come on board to uh, to uh, lead the retail practice there. And the company had just been acquired uh, by Hilco, uh, which is you know one of the powerhouses in the industry that touches pretty much every aspect of, of retail. Uh, and I've been there since, building a retail team and actively working with you know underperforming, um, stressed and distressed companies uh, in, in retail and consumers. The uh, we just um, for listeners who are tuning in to us, we uh, we were doing a fireside chat, and you uh, spoke with my colleague Lauren uh, Parker, who uh, I, th- I think you guys mentioned a little bit about the holiday season. And let's go a little deeper on that. You know, Joe Atori, remember him from Ames Department Store? Uh, he was with the Retail <laughs> Association, and he said, you know, I would ask him about Christmas. You know, how's it going to be? What, what, what's he thinking? He says, Arthur, Christmas comes every year. Correct. <laughs> so, so what was so? And what's your assessment of the holiday shopping season? How yeah, much change? Okay. okay, I think it, it's a it, it's the holiday shopping season. If you look at gross sales, came in just about on the internet target. Yeah. I think it's point eight percent, and it's usually between three and four percent, pretty much every year, except you know during COVID, post COVID, where we had a big spike in 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 demand, uh, and that's now we're we're in a more normalized situation. I think what you're going to see, as we've been seeing for quite some time, is it's going to be a bifurcation in performance mm-hmm. between the progressive, well-run retailers that really, uh, you know, are engaging with the shoppers and they're doing they're doing it right, right, and companies that are just hanging on. And so you're going to see you're going to see performances. You know, comp store sales up 15 percent, comp store sales down 15 percent, <laughs> profitability the same thing. So. So, and that's been going on for quite some time. Now, many years ago, you'd look at performance and it was, you know, between retailers and it was within a, you know, a very narrow band. Uh, and, but now that's that's not been the case. So, you know, and you see people, 
you know, you're, you're going to see, I'm sure, people like Lululemon and Cosmo and Aritzia, and, you know, go on and on there to, you know, continue to deliver outstanding results. And then you're going to see people that are struggling. Uh, and, and that'll be, you know, for public, for public companies, you're going to see the numbers. For private companies, you're not. Um, you're not going to know until some event happens in that regard. So in, in following this very heady uh, holiday shopping season, uh, the industry convened at Jacob Javits Center uh, for NRF's big show. A ridiculous number of people showed up. It was over, I think, set a record, perhaps, you know, right. tens of thousands. Uh, and then you're walking the show floor, the expo area, and, and you have 7,000 vendors um, you know, showing their wares. So just overall, what was your impressions of NRF this year? Well, I think it was, I think that there was a lot of energy. I think that uh, the mood was positive. Uh, and, you know, and it's kind of like, it, it, it didn't have that sort of like doom and gloomish feeling about it. And people yeah. were looking to do business. Um, people are, you know, retailers are opening stores. Um, and, um, and, 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 uh, and, you know, I think feeling better than they were maybe coming into into holiday. Um, so because I think people weren't sure what was going to happen, okay, in, in that regard. But when you look at it, when you look at the economy, you know, employment's very strong. Inflation, the rate of inflation is is down, right? Gas prices are down. So, you know, and consumers, despite the fact that they're continuing to add to their debt, right, um, are spending. Um, and so, but they are spending, you know, in a very targeted way, maybe much more targeted than they were in the past. And that's mm-hmm. where you can see this difference in performance in terms of, you know, the, the companies that really resonate with them are getting the, you know, getting the business and gaining share. So, uh, and then there's also the question, I think, that everybody's talking about, you know, what were the big things that people were talking about, right? Well, the number one thing that people was talking about was AI, right? And, you know, what the heck does AI mean? How will it affect our business? How can we use it? You know, um, and 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 I think that was really the you know that's what everybody's talking about, and and so many of the companies are now talking about how they utilize AI and machine learning in in you know in their business model. So, and the question is, you know, also I think from a retail perspective is look at what's right for us, right? What right. what should the investment be, and with what companies that are utilizing it? In terms of being able to um, to affect business results, so that to me was the number one. You know, to me, that was the, the number one topic of discussion. So, so speaking of technology, a lot of retailers they have these. Uh, well, first they're they're reluctant to make investments in technology. They have these like Frankenstein tech stacks that are. Um, just you know, ancient. <laughs> you know, some some people still doing using Excel in certain ways, and um, and then you go to NRF, and you see all these wonderful things. You know, just like amazing. You know, there's generative AI. There's you know predictive AI. There's uh, you know cloud based solutions and platforms and e commerce solutions that are just remarkable and makes omni channel retailing a lot easier. So you know, if I'm a CIO and and I go there, I get all excited, and then I go back home. And I go into the corner office and, uh, well, maybe I stop by the CFO and I, and I say, we got to get this. We have to invest in this. And they're like, no, <laughs> there's no money. Right. So, so what, what is, how, how do we make investments that make sense? You, you just kind of alluded that, like what makes yeah. sense? I think that, you know, I can certainly relate to that question from my, my tenure at, uh, at Rue 21. And, you know, Rue had been 
you know, for many years, really sort of, uh, uh, you know, sort of tech phobic. Uh, you know, they've done things the way they'd always done it, and it'd been successful uh, until it wasn't. Okay, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and that's what kind of happens. You know, it, it, you, you know, I think that I think the the uh, the reason why companies get into trouble very often is. Uh, they think that all they have to do is do what they're doing better and things will get better as opposed to, yeah, of course you have to execute the basics, but you've got to start doing things differently and you've got to judiciously um, invest in technology or you're going to be left behind because your competition's going to do it. And I think in terms of, for us, you know, at, at, um, at Rue, uh, we, we were very out there in terms of investing in technology. And technology covers so many different areas. I mean, we were the first, we were the second company in the United States in 2018 to uh, to do corn, you know, uh, they yeah. buy now, pay later. That was like, and because we knew that our customer had issues with credit and and this was a great way to extend credit to get them to buy more. We had an immediate uh, uh, impact on our revenues. And then, you know, and then being able to use predictive analytics in choosing the right product. You know, inventory is always a huge issue, okay, in terms of, uh, you know, what's the right amount, where should you, and then where should you put it, and when do you mark it down, and how do you price it, et cetera. So, so and, you know, inventory is an asset, right? So the faster you can turn it and deliver results, it's just going to go down to the bottom line. So if you could do that, that's great. So, and I think that with a lot of these technology solutions, first of all, you can, you for most of the companies you deal with, you can request a proof of concept, test it, okay? Let's see if it delivers what you say it's gonna deliver. And then, you know, you can you can build an ROI case for making the investment because you know, if I, if I spend this amount of money, okay, my ROI is gonna be this. And so, you, you know, I don't think you, I think you do it with a financial lens, okay? You don't let some of these big companies sort of bulldoze you into right. huge uh, uh, technology uh, investments that take forever. And then when they come on stream, okay, there, there's always a surprise. And you always have to remember that with technology, okay, it's like there's always going to be a gestation period, a transition period. So you got to build that into your projections, right? To right. say, you know, you're not going to flip a switch. You know, everybody wants to flip a switch and <laughs> everything's going to be better. Well, it doesn't <laughs> especially with technology. And I can tell you, if you look at, you know, uh, opening a new distribution center, uh, a new uh, a new e-commerce platform, there are always going to be hiccups. It's just the nature. And also, you've got technology and you've got people, right? And so, <laughs> you know, uh, there's lots of things that can happen. And, and but, but if you do your homework, all right, if you figure out, if you figure out, okay, what are the priorities of my business, right? What are the th- most businesses, all right, and especially in in tournaments, all right? There's probably only three or four big things that you need to focus on to get to, to really move the needle, and it's I call it the eighty percent solution, okay? And and also organizations don't have the capability of absorbing that much change all at once. So you know, once you once hey, once you understand, I have my little prescription, right? Once you understand the customer, which is number one, okay, and you and you and you get the right team of people in there, okay, then you can execute your strategy, right? And and you get you know results. But at the same time, when all, overlaying all of this is 
you got to have enough liquidity because, you know, if you don't have, and this could be a healthy business that's investing or a turnaround stress business. It's like, it always takes longer and more money than you think. So you have to build that into the equation too. Do you have the liquidity? And with retailers in particular, right? right retailers cannot be levered, right? Because, because if you do lever, we, Arthur, you have seen this so many times. When you've got too much leverage on a business, you know, in retail, especially fashion retail, you have a bad season, okay? You have all of a sudden you have negative operating leverage, right? And if you don't have a strong enough balance sheet to withstand that, a per- perfectly good business can can go bye bye. Well, yeah, and that's I think I think we're going to start to see that right because during COVID there was. Uh, everybody's making these investments in digitalization and convergence technologies, and uh, and they took out de- a lot of the debt. And now that's coming to, you know, uh, fruition. You got to like pay that off. You if you're not doing well, okay. And what's happened? You know, it's so interesting though because it's always with retail. You know, you never know what's going to come out of left field, right? To change things. And if you look at the econ, if you look at e-commerce, right? There's some big issues in e-commerce. You know, uh, with 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 uh, uh, with, you know, with this change in iOS, you know, the cost of the cost of acquiring new customers has gone up dramatically. All right. And three years ago, that wasn't the case. You could predict it's going to cost you X, you know, X dollars per consumer to get a new customer. And that goes into your model, et cetera. And then all of a sudden that got turned on its head and it became much more expensive to to acquire new customers. And then and then the whole issue. And so with that, too. You know, it's the whole whole issue that that we've been talking about at Getzler for, for you know since I got there before. You know, three delivery and three returns. Okay, and and it's like it's just not it's not tenable. Okay, and it's tenable for Amazon because they get 150 bucks a year for you for your, the free shipping, which people forget that that it's not free. All right, so so uh, and then of course they have the best logistics anywhere on the planet. So, so, but for most people, they don't have that. So you have to decide, you know, what, what financially makes sense for the company in terms of what should the free shipping threshold be? Uh, what should your policy be on returns? And, you know, all of a sudden companies are realizing that they gotta, they gotta up the threshold for free shipping. They've got to, to charge for returns. They've got to start doing that because at the end of the day, they can't make money. And, and quite frankly, I think, you know, that's why we're in business, right? We're in business to make money, not to lose money. And so, right. and, you know, and I think that customers, customers understand that, especially, especially, and it all starts, and we don't, we don't talk about this enough, but it all talks with the product, right? You got to have the right product. And if you don't have the right product, you know, uh, uh, you, you know, what are you, what are you doing opening your doors? Okay. So, so if you have the right product that customers want, and it's and it's fairly priced, all right. There's a good price value relationship. Customers will pay, uh, and re- the right product also is. I can go on about this forever. Is it's got to fit, okay? I've been involved in the plus size business for many years, and the number one issue for the plus size customer is fit. And but if you have consistent fit, like you know, like we have at Ashley Stewart, where you know, we, we cater to the, the plus size gal, right. all right? Our, our return rates are, are so much lower than the industry average, 
Okay. And that all goes into profitability. So when you look at all these levers, there are all these levers, right, that you can push. You got to figure out which are the ones that are going to make the difference and, and, uh, um, you, you know, make you successful and have you resonate with that customer. But but uh, just to touch on what you said before, all those l- l- levers that you could control, you know, it, it, the end goal is performance improvement, right? You want to make sure that you're constantly reaching that goal of, of how do I perform? Yeah, and that? That you're, and that you're looking ahead, you know. I think part of the problem, you know, is, is retailers sometimes are looking in the rearview mirror too much yeah. and they're not looking ahead. And they're not, they're not really saying, you know, what is the world going to be like What's it going to be like for our customer? What is she or he going to require or want or need? And how do we fulfill that? How do we serve her all right, uh, in, in such a way that, that we're going to be their first stop in the, in the shopping expedition? So, you know, it's not, it's the thing about, I always say this, it's not biotech, all right? But, at, but at, you know, execution is difficult and it requires a lot of discipline. Uh, on the, you know, on the part of the retailer, because retailers have to be good at so many different things. Whereas, you know, if you're a brand and you don't have retail, you know, it's really all about the product and the marketing, et cetera. But it's not, it, they don't have to worry about real estate. They don't, have, you know, have to worry about as much about, uh, well, they have to worry about supply chain. Supply chain is important for everybody. But, you know, real, you know, real estate and, and um, motivating and training and retaining frontline associates, which is a huge topic that people do not address enough. Okay. You know, everybody's talking about, everyone's talking about, you know, theft uh, and shrink, uh, but they're not talking enough about how do we, how do we recruit, train and retain frontline associates? And that has direct uh, uh, impact on shrink. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise, you know, (laughs) because when you walk into a store, you know, when you walk into a store and there's no one on the floor, that's an invitation to, you know, take it and walk out. And then there's a whole other discussion. We could talk about this forever, about the whole issue now about self-checkout. OK, yeah. here's an example of uh, a technological improvement, supposedly, that mm-hmm. is starting to um, have uh, retailers think, well, maybe that was such a good idea after all. <laughs> because when, you, when you're checking out, when you're self-checking out, Nobody's stopping you from putting some some extra stuff in your in your shopping bag that you haven't paid for. So you know this, and also the issue the issue I think, which is really important, of human interaction. You know, um, and and with everything, you know, people working remotely, with everybody on the phones, etc. It's like, what should the shopper experience be? Well, certainly, the the human touch or the interaction. Uh, is 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 I think is more and more important in in our environment. So you know, uh, so many so many things to think about and talk about, <laughs> which makes retail great, right? It's kind of like you have the to best have business. <laughs> have to you have to be like a juggler. You can't, you know, what I mean, you got to have all those balls up in the air and and believe that you can continue to you know to catch them and and make them better. So. Michael, th- thank you so much for spending time today. So um, I have my notes here. We're going to talk next time. We're going to talk about uh, fit, and we're going to talk about maybe another episode on um, the frontline workers and their importance. So thank you again, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in. And please tune in again. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Arthur. 
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.